Entering the game from Billy Prescott Radio, Bill Prescott and Jim Chester. It's Wednesday, July 1st, Jed, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And hey, Chet, first off, happy Bobby Bonilla Day to you. <laughs> As many states back off on opening up due to the coronavirus Baseball scheduled to report on Friday. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver remains pretty confident hmm, about the NBA's plan to safely resume play, but admits that the spread in the NBA community could bring the league to a halt again. That's not good. It does look like the NHL has settled on their uh, cities now, so we'll see what that brings us. But uh, these are not good time for sports, Chad. And uh, we got a great guest tonight at Inquire.com's Mike Sealski. He's going to give us his take on all this here shortly. Yeah, we'll certainly get Mike's take on all of that. But uh, I'm having my doubts about it, Bill. I mean, you got some players testing positive for COVID 19. You got at least four major leaguers opting out of the planned 60 game season, including Nats veteran Ryan Zimmerman. It's going to be quite an interesting summer. And oh, yeah, in addition to happy Bo, Bobby Bonilla Day, happy early 4th of July to everybody, too. Uh, yeah, how about that? Hey, um, Jed, another thing on a positive note is year seven of our Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame. So we, the fans, and us, you and I, have selected 35 players so far, two broadcasters since we started this in 2014. Tonight we'll break down the 11 remaining players on our ballot. We'll add five more uh, to be voted on throughout the next two weeks. And uh, it's always fun when we do this once a year. Yeah, we will. It is fun. There are some names that, frankly, I'm surprised we haven't uh, gotten, you know, had them voted in just yet. Uh, Steve Jeltz, for example. Steve Jeltz is not even on the ballot. That's just not right. Uh, we'll get to that in the second half of our show, and that is always a fun thing for us to do and for our Philly sports fans every summer. Yeah, absolutely. And, hey, uh, one thing, too. we had I had the opportunity last week to make uh, kind of a guest appearance on the Edge of Philly sports uh program last Wednesday night after our show and uh, it's going to be fun uh, relationship with that bunch they're uh, they're a good bunch to deal with yeah and for those who might not know Philly Press Box Radio is now sort of a partner in crime with Edge of Philly Sports Big Al over there has set up a mini network that I think now has four or five different shows on it including us and we do look forward to doing more crossover events with them over at Edge of Philly Sports not only here on Facebook Live and YouTube but out in the public as well when, uh, you know, we finally get this pandemic behind us, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, with all that business taken care of, um, let's welcome Inquire.com sports columnist Mike Sealski back to Philly Press Box Radio. Mike, welcome to the wild, wacky world of sports. I, I wish we were fully back in that wacky, wild world, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Mike, welcome back. You've been here often, but this is your first time via Zoom with us, so we thank you for doing that. And by the way, kudos to your new hairstylist. Is it true that your wife took care of that for you? She did. She uh, she went buck wild clipper style. Um, <laughs> after going four months without a haircut, I couldn't take it anymore, and uh, I just handed the clippers over to, to her and said, 
do what you will. And uh, so here I am. I look like uh, Harrison Ford in Presumed Innocent or Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard. <laughs> I think she did a great job. And, and you're one of those guys who never seems to age. And that's really annoying, but hey, <laughs> so be it. I'm annoying for a million other reasons too, Chet. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's what I hear. Uh, first things first, Mike, and we talked to your colleague, Sam Carcitti, about this just a few weeks ago. How tough has it been for you and other writers and columnists to generate story ideas when there's you know no game action to connect those topics to? <clears throat> uh, it can be a challenge at times. Um, I've, I've kind of found myself looking more to the past than anything else. I like digging back to see what has happened before that we've kind of forgotten about and trying to tie that to what is happening now or might be happening now. So for instance, I did a piece for the Inquirer a couple of weeks ago about the Hong Kong flu slash pandemic that took place in 1968 and 69, which nobody remembers, but it cut a swath through the Eagles locker room. There were five players and a trainer who got this flu and we completely memory hold the whole experience. Um, you know, nobody talks about it anymore. It's not part of sports history or even cultural history, for that matter, in our country. Um, but it was a pretty big deal at the time. And uh, so I like that. I like being able to, to kind of go back in time and, and see where there's connective tissue between what happened 30, 40, 50 years ago and today. But to answer your question, it's been a challenge because, you know, we get very limited access to these athletes anymore. It's on Zoom. Um you know, we, it, things are just kind of starting again with respect to like talking to people like Brett Brown with the Sixers or, you know, the Phillies beginning training camp this Friday. So hopefully it'll ratchet up a little bit, but it has been a bit of a challenge. Well, Mike, uh, the Phillies look like they're trying to get things going. A couple guys showed up here at Citizens Park. I guess Friday is the is supposed to be the go day. Uh, in the meantime, today, Pennsylvania changed their rules. You cannot not outside without a mask. Is this all going to even happen? I think it'll start, Bill. I don't know if it'll finish. It's funny you say that because I filed a column today about the Sixers and, you know, what will happen once the games begin again in the NBA inside the bubble and, you know, who's what, what will shake Milton's role be and all this stuff. And I filed the thing. And then I thought, what the heck am I doing, like writing about this and speculating? Because nobody has any idea whether – these leagues are going to be able to finish what they start. Like I said, I think they will begin, but who knows how far we're going to get before a player, a coach, somebody tests positive, and then, and then the rubber is really going to hit the road here. And, I mean, let's face it, guys, the word that, to me, doesn't get brought up enough, um, I don't even hear it brought up all that much in this context, is lawsuits. That's what these leagues and teams are afraid of. They are afraid of lawsuits from somebody going out there and contracting the, the virus and getting sick and putting their life in danger and then blaming the leagues or the teams. And as long as that hovers over these leagues, you know, Bill, your, your guess is as good as mine in terms of how far we're going to get uh, in the restart of the Philly season, the Sixer season, the Flyers, or, you know, what, whatever we might get with the Eagles. Well, speaking of the Phillies, Mike, and baseball in general, you wrote a very interesting piece a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> and, and I got to be honest, when I first saw it, I thought, I wonder if Mike really believes this or is he just taking this view to maybe get more people to read it? I'm referring to your story that was headlined, I don't care if baseball ever comes back, the game has been boring for years. So fess up, Mike. Is that how you really feel about what used to be the national pastime? It absolutely is, Chet. Um, and I understand the, the nature of that headline and I understand why you would think that upon reading it because a lot of 
A lot of people do that in our business now, as you guys know, they say something that's incendiary for the sake of getting reaction. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. Um, the, 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 the idea behind that column came a few days before. I had been on um, WIP late one night with Jody McDonald, and we got into a back and forth about uh, the labor impasse in baseball and who was to blame. And we had a disagreement about it. And at one point I said to Jody, I said, Jody, I got to be honest, I don't care if they come back. I don't like baseball that much anymore. And it almost kind of surprised me when I said it. But after I hung up the phone, I really thought about it. And I realized that that was exactly how I felt, that the sport I loved as a kid was not the sport that was being played now. Um, it was so different from the game that I grew up loving um, that it just it, it doesn't retain my interest in the way that it used to. Um, to me is gone from the game the competing philosophies about how teams go about winning games and how players go about playing the game itself no more knuckleball pitchers no more guys who throw 85 and you wonder how is he getting anybody out so many fewer complete games um you know elements of the game that made it inherently interesting and dramatic are gone now and i miss them and i don't like baseball as much as i used to well you know it's funny um Mike, because when I read the headline, I thought, you know what, I'm going to hate this article. <laughs> and when I read the article, I- I'm 100% with you. Um, you know, the swinging for defenses, no walks, no steal- stolen bases, no sacrifice bunts. Uh, swing for defense or walk to the dugout, uh, you know, is the norm now. And uh, it-, it does take – and, and the extended games, I think. Uh, you know, you're, you're not seeing that Seaver Carlton uh, – two-hour, three-minute game anymore. They're, they're, they're gone forever. Yeah, you're right, Bill. And, and you know, the, on the one hand, I kind of understand how we got to this point because teams started to make calculated decisions. They, they, they crunched the numbers and they said to themselves, we, we'll sacrifice entertainment value um, for a more efficient way to try to win games. You know, so the example I keep using is, let's say a, 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 the leadoff hitter in an inning doubles. And so you've got a runner at second first, nobody out. So runner at second, nobody out. The next hitter up, we, you know, all of us were taught in baseball, that guy should hit, try to hit the ball to the right side of the infield to move him over to third base. Now, I know that over time, the hitter probably shouldn't try to do that, that it is more productive and efficient and effective for him to try to get a hit, try to hit a home run. And if he strikes out, so be it. The chances that you're still going to score the runner from second base are, are probably better. But it's more entertaining if the ball's in play. And it's and it's easier to follow if everybody knows, okay, I'm judging this hitter on whether or not he did the fundamentally sound thing, quote unquote, the fundamentally sound thing. And and you see more and more of the the skewing of that in baseball. And while it makes for a more efficient game, I don't think it makes for a more entertaining game. Um, the ball's not in play as much. And the games, as you said, Bill, they just take so long the pitcher takes more time in between pitches if you watch those games from 20 30 years ago there's a clip there's a rhythm to these games um you know the 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 pitcher gets the ball and is ready to throw it the batter stays in the box it just moves more quickly and there's more variety there's guys who choke up on the bat you know try to punch the ball for singles there are home run hitters there are strikeout pitchers there are ground ball pitchers it was just more interesting all around i think 
you just made Bill very happy with that whole answer, Mike. I got to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> he's an old school guy. All right, let's let's assume there is a baseball season. I'll be the 60 game season uh, on paper. The Phillies look to be as good or even better than last year's club. But, you know, the fact that they have to play 40 games against the NL East, 20 games against the AL East. I can't say that I'm real optimistic about their chances. What's your assessment? Again, assuming there is a season. I feel the same way, Chad. I mean, the, the the key advantage, the whole like test case aspect of the season was going to be what difference does Joe Girardi make, and what difference does you know Brian Price make as a pitching coach? It was kind of um, almost an exper- science experiment about if you left everything else the same and brought back a few healthy players and changed your manager, how much of a different would it, difference would it make, and how much of an improvement might it make? Um, well, we're not going to get to answer that now because this, the Phillies were really good through 60 games last year. If the season had been 60 games last season, Gabe Kapler might be in the, you know, he might be mayor of Philadelphia for all we know. Um, but last year's season wasn't 60 games. It was 162. So the fact that it's shortened changes the whole dynamic. The fact that they're going to be playing without fans changes the whole dynamic. I don't know what to think about what's coming up for any team anywhere. That goes for the Phillies, the Sixers, the Flyers anything like that. I think anybody who speculates and, and says, well, I'm, I'm can tell you what's going to happen in this abbreviated season of baseball, basketball, hockey, they're, they're you know, trying to sell you swampland in Florida. <laughs> well, Hey Mike, you wrote another interesting article uh, talking about the Eagles and Alshon Jeffrey and uh, the spin that that's been getting. Uh, I, I think we and Chet and I, I think agree that the, uh, the Jeffrey situation definitely is is an interesting one for the Eagles. Uh, you, you go ahead and explain that how you came across that happy spin as you put. <laughs> well, my, my, yeah, no, my point in the in the column was they really don't have any other choice because of the nature of the way they've gone about trying to win, um, basically during the Carson Wentz era, which is to say that you know when he was on his rookie contract, they had so much more salary cap room because they drafted a guy, a good young quarterback who could start right away, and he doesn't cost anything. So we can go out and sign, you know, veterans to short-term, sometimes expensive contracts. And Jeffrey was one of those guys. And it made sense. And they pulled the strategy off so well that they even won the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. So that's how brilliant they were, at least for that one year. Um, But now that Wentz is on his, you know, his longer-term extension contract, and he's going to cost more money, they're going to have to make some choices and they can't, they can't follow that. Hey, let's just go out and okay, well, Alshon's hurt and he doesn't like Carson very much. And he was blabbing to Josina Anderson allegedly. So let's just eat the money on his contract and get somebody else. They can't do that anymore. So what they have to do is kind of just hope for the best, whether it's, whether it's respect to Alshon or Deshaun Jackson, or even a guy like Greg Ward or the guys they drafted. And one of the points I made in the column was, you know, the Patriots, this is still kind of the model that the Eagles are following, which is the New England Patriots and Belichick and Brady. And it only seemed like the Patriots were going for it every year because they had Belichick and Brady. But the fact of the matter is that some of those seasons, they had wide receivers like Randy Moss and Wes Welker. And other of those years, their best wide receiver was Rache Caldwell. And they just took their chances with a lesser, you know, few position groups because, well, we have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And with those guys, we'll always be in the hunt. Well, the Eagles are trying to do the same thing. They're basically saying, like, we have Doug Peterson, we have Carson Wentz. If they're, you know, if Doug is our coach and Carson is healthy, we'll be in the hunt and we don't necessarily have to go for it every year. So all things being equal, you know, I would say to Eagles fans, like, this may be a year where 
you know, nine and seven and getting the wild card or winning the vision like they did last year. Like that should be like the, the top of your expectations. I would be surprised. Things would really have to break right for them to be beyond or better than that. Um, because it's just not a year where they're going to go all in like everybody's expected the last few years. Well, you set me up perfectly, Mike, for what I wanted to segue into. And that's uh, that coach up in New England who you happened to write about the other day. Uh, you wrote this throughout his 20 years as the Patriots head coach. Bill Belichick has trod the line, the fine line between two kinds of behavior, innovative and ethically suspect. He really has. And, you know, now the team's been punished again for another little indiscretion, something of a slap on the wrist, as I see it. And they've also, of course, signed Cam Newton. Are we going to see the Patriots still be a contender here in the post Tom Brady era? I think so. I mean, they got to be somebody's got to knock them off first. I mean, I, I like what Brian Flores is doing in Miami. I think, you know. They drafted a franchise quarterback, presumably in Tua Tonga So hopefully for Dolphins fans' sake, things might be turning around there. But, you know, and the Bills were pretty good, but Josh Allen doesn't, you know, set the world on fire for me at quarterback either, even though I like Sean, Mc, you know, um, McDermott as their head coach. So until somebody knocks the Patriots off, they're still on top of the AFC East, which means they're still in contention. And I, I think the move to get Cam Newton is a smart one. If it doesn't work out, he's only cost you, what, a million bucks, a little bit more than that under the cap. Um, you got to love the fact that they signed him on the same day that this punishment story broke. Everybody was talking about the Patriots signing Cam Newton. Nobody was talking about the fact that they were cheating again. Um, and, you know, they fired the poor, you know, TV, you know, video coordinator guy, you know, yeah. turned him into a, you know, a sacrificial lamb. So this is what they do. And as I said in the column, Chet, God bless Bill, Bill Belichick for it. He is not changing for any coronavirus, for any, you know, social justice reasons, none of that stuff. He is who he is, and he's going to continue to be that way. And thank God for it because it makes me feel normal again. <laughs> well, interesting. You know, he keeps he keeps dodging bullets. I, I don't know how he does it, but he does. But, hey, you, you mentioned the, the social justice things. I, I wanted to throw that out there to you with the, with the NBA coming out with their new – I don't know its rule, but they're allowing the guys, however they do it, to uh, have their slogans on the back of their shirts. I don't know if it's going to replace their name or be below their number or how they're going to do it. Uh, how do you feel about that? And how do you think more, I guess more importantly, is how do you think fans are going to feel about that? I don't like it for a number of reasons. Number one, I think it's it's another step towards simplifying and really dumbing down a really complex issue. The idea that you're going to be able to just make a statement with a couple of words on the back of your jersey um, is short-sighted and kind of um, – I just don't like it. I don't like the message it sends. These are really complex issues um, that require discussion and debate and open-mindedness. And, you know, the, the idea that it can be reduced to just a bumper sticker bothers me. Um, the idea that we're going to have this, you know, th there, there are fans out there. There are a lot of fans who support this and, and agree, will agree with whatever, you know, the players go along with. They just want to watch basketball. I do think there are a lot of fans out there who feel like, you know, what's one of the benefits of sports is that it is time away from all the other things that occupy our thoughts and our minds and our hearts that are really, really serious at all these times. And to have this kind of thrust in their faces, I do think some people are going to recoil at that. Um, the third thing is, I wonder what's going to happen, presumably if a player puts something on his jersey that he is the only one supportive of that. You know, it's one thing if you see all 12 guys on an NBA team with Black Lives Matter on the back of their jersey. It's another thing if you have one of them say free Hong Kong. 
is Adam Silver going to allow that to go through? Because the the NBA has a very, very lucrative deal um, with some Chinese institutions and financial entities and has, um, you know, not handled that that partnership well with respect to what goes on in communist China. Um, so I, I don't like this idea. I understand to a degree why they're doing it. Let's be honest with this. This is part of the NBA's brand. brand. And this is a gesture to the players because these guys, if they show up to the bubble, are going to be bottled in Disney World for three or four months. They're not going to be able to have the freedom to go and be an NBA player the way they're accustomed to being an NBA player, which means the freedom to go out after a game, to live the way they want to live, all that stuff. And so I think Adam Silver sees this as a gesture of goodwill. Hey, we know the sacrifice you're making. We're going to allow you to express yourselves on the jersey. Um, I just don't think it's a particularly good idea. All right. So, Mike, we've talked about the Phillies. Uh, assuming the Sixers get back into action and the Flyers, do you are you looking forward more to the Sixers or do you think maybe the Flyers would have a better shot since they have the, the, the young goaltender and they were playing so well back in February and March before everything went to pieces? Yeah, I think in theory they would, Chad. I mean, I was really high on the way they were playing. I'm a big Carter Hart fan for better, you know, for a better way of putting it. I think he is so important to what that organization has done in terms of kind of rebounding from the, the kind of moribund state they were in over the last four or five years, they needed to get a franchise goalie. And I think they have one in heart. Um, and so I think they are better cut out assuming, you know, these teams are allowed to play their seasons that, that the virus lets them, they're better cut out to make a deep playoff run than the Sixers are. Um, you know, as I wrote in this column today, it'll be online either tonight or tomorrow morning to me, the Sixers, they're kind of relying on a guy named Shake Milton. I mean, they they should start Shake Milton at point guard, move Ben Simmons off the ball to the to the power forward position, and send Al Horford to the bench. And Horford can kind of anchor the second team and, and spell Embiid. And Milton playing point guard can actually shoot from the outside. If you look at his statistics over the final nine games that the Sixers played, when he was filling in for Simmons, he was terrific dropped 39 against the Clippers. You know, it feels like 10 years ago, but it was only in February. Um, so, but, but, but even if they do that, I mean, what are the chances that that's going to be enough to get them through the Eastern conference or get them to the finals? Who knows? So uh, yeah, I like the Flyers chances in, in a playoff situation more than I like the Sixers. Hey Mike, I have one final question for you. Um, Chet and I recently completed our Philly press box radio, Mount Rushmore. Uh, top five players that we've seen play. Of course, we're a little bit older than you, but uh, <laughs> you got five you want to throw out there that uh, best players. All right. Well, all right. I'll go with uh, Mike Schmidt right off the top of my head. Um, Reggie White. Uh, I caught, you know, I caught all of Reggie's career when he was with the Eagles. So they would be two. Um, you know, in terms of the Flyers, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I, I guess Eric Lindros um, that I've seen. Um, and then with the Sixers, you know, I covered Allen Iverson. I would put him on that that list as well. Um, and then if I had to put one more, I would probably put Brian Dawkins, just in terms of the impact that he had um, on the Eagles over time. And uh, so that would be mine of guys I've seen play. Um, and that covers kind of runs the gamut from when I was a kid to, you know, getting to do what I do now. We're so old that we both got to see Wilt as a Sixer. So (laughs) he, of course, was on our list. Hey, Mike, one more thing. And I swear to God, I did not realize this when I booked you a week and a half or so ago that the date would be July 1st. And July 1st happens to be 
Wawa Hoagie Day. Oh God! <laughs> what are you doing for dinner, Mike? You know, it's funny, Chad. I was uh, I was thinking about that column yesterday when it, the announcement came down that all the minor baseball's minor league season had been canceled. It was the reason I wrote that infamous infamous I don't like Wawa Hoagies column is because I went to a Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs game with a group of friends, half a dozen friends, our, our families, our kids. And one of the families brought Wawa Hoagies. And that was the inspiration for me to write that column. So um, thank you for bringing as as Billy Crystal says in The Princess Bride, thank you for bringing up such a painful memory. While you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? <laughs> I just realized three hours ago that it was, in fact, Wawa Hoagie Day, so I had to bring it up. Sorry, Mike. No worries, man. Thanks. <laughs> well, Mike, we are out of time. We appreciate you coming by. Great in info, as always. And uh, hopefully we get to talk about real sports soon. Your mouth to God's ears, Billy. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, for Thanks guys. All right. Good stuff, Chet. What do you think? That was awesome. Mike is great, and that was uh, – Probably one of the most fun interviews we've had with him of the, I think, 11 that we've had now with him. Absolutely. Well, hey, Jet, let's uh, take a break and uh, look for our insurance. If you're looking forward to the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. All state insurance at Westchester, PA. Yes, we do, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs. Someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700. Again, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, as you can see, and uh, if you want to put the camera back on me there, Billy, I am wearing a rock and roll T-shirt tonight uh, because it was exactly three years ago this evening that I saw the great Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers for a sixth and final time. Little did we know that we would lose Tom three months later. So let's just hear a little bit of Mr. Petty. Another one gone way too early, Chet. That is for sure. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Chet. Uh, it's Philly Press Box Radio Annual Hall of Fame Preview Night. Um, we always have fun with this. This is going to be our seventh time around. So <clears throat> just a refresher on how this works. Uh, tonight, Chet, you and I will give a quick thumbnail sketch of each of the remaining 11 players on the ballot, as well as five new nominees. Uh, once the show's over, we'll post an article with a link for the fans to vote for five players. Top three fan votes are in. Then, Chet, you pick one player. I pick one player. And we'll announce this in two weeks. We're going to go a second week because being 4th of July week and maybe people away from their electronic devices a little bit more. So we'll come back and do that. And, uh, you know, really, Chet, it's been kind of easy so far. Last couple of years got a little bit harder. The first group was, you know, were the regulars. Um, pretty tough to get to these guys. Uh, we, we still have three Hall of Famers in their respective leagues that we haven't selected yet. They're still nominees. So uh, it's going to be fun. 
Yeah, every year it does get tougher, though, Bill, because there are more and more of the obvious names off the list. So it's getting more challenging for us and therefore for our listeners and now viewers, but certainly still a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to give you two weeks to make your choices, and then we'll come back and uh, see what we have. Yep. Well, we're going to give a quick rundown of the 35 great Philadelphia athletes that have already been selected through our Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame. So, you know, we're, we're in, in – 36 through 50 now. So uh, 35 are in. We'll go ahead and we'll run them down just so people know it. If they think, oh, why isn't this person being talked about? Because they probably are already here. So we started this out in uh, 2014. Our class was Wilt Chamberlain, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Bobby Clark, Bernie Perrant, Chuck Bednarik, Steve Van Buren, Reggie White, Robin Roberts, and Julius Irving. That was our first 10 the first year. Then we went in the Class of 2015, Brian Dawkins, Richie Ashburn, Bill Barber, Joe Frazier, and Pete Pihos. And then in 2016, Eric Lindros, Pete Rose, Alan Iverson, Charles Barkley, and Hal Greer. Doesn't seem like it was that long ago, 2016. Wow. 2017, the great Judy Arnold, Mark Howell, Moses Malone, Dick Allen, and Brian Propp. 2018, Bill Berge, Jim Bunning. Maxie Bond, Harold Carmichael, and Tommy McDonald. And then last year, Bobby Jones, Wilbert Montgomery, Billy Cunningham, Tim Kerr, and Rick McLeish. So those are our 35, Chet. And uh, so after six years, we have seven Phillies, eight Flyers, eight Sixers, 10 Eagles, and two others, the others being Joe Frazier and Judy Arnold. So, and last year, uh, after the year before, we had picked, I think, four Eagles. Last year, we picked no Eagles, so that could change this year. And, and as I mentioned, we have three players, um, Bob Brown, Mo Cheeks, and Chet Walker, who are nominees, again, who are not who, who are in their Hall of Fame, who are not in our Hall of Fame. And, you know, I can just see some of our younger listeners and viewers saying, who the heck is Pete Pihos and Judy Arnold? What's that? But uh, <laughs> we old-timers, we know. <laughs> we know, absolutely. Well, hey. Let's get to the players remaining on the ballot from last year, okay? So we have Bob Boomer Brown, Hall of Famer, Mo Cheeks, Hall of Famer, Randall Cunningham, uh, Darren Dalton, Ryan Howard, Tug McGraw, Donovan McNabb, Mike Quick, Jimmy Rollins, Dave the Hammer Schultz, Chet Walker, and new to the 2020 ballot, Chet, we came up with Rod Brindamore, Ron Hextall, Seth Joyner, Gary Maddox, and Chase Utley. And hey, by the way, uh, your son pointed out that Wilbert Montgomery went in last year, and he is an Eagle, so we did have one Eagle last year. Oh, yes. Yep. Ding. I'm glad he's back there. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping us in line. That's right. So, Jed, here we go in no particular order uh, because you ended up with a lion's share here. You have to do nine of these, and I only have to do seven. So we're we're not in alphabetical order. It's just the way it fell. So I'm going to start out with Bob Boomer Brown, and we'll rotate through the list of nominees that way, okay? Yes, sir. So Bob Brown, terrific offensive tackle for 10 years in the National Football League, 1964 to 1973. Several All-Pro selections. He played his first five years in the league as an Eagle after being drafted second overall in 1964 out of Nebraska. 
He also played for the Rams and the Raiders. Brown was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2004 and was also added to the Eagles Hall of Fame the same year. Great player, one of those offensive linemen that get buried, Chet, Bob Boomer Brown. Yes, sir. Let's move on to Rod Brindamore, who was a new nominee this year. You know, back in late May, Bill and I talked about our favorite all-time flyers to watch and play. And this guy, again, a new nominee for our hall this year, was on my list of favorites because of the way he played the game, all out, Every shift, Rod Brindamore played 20 seasons in the NHL, including nine with the Flyers, who honored him by putting him in their Hall of Fame in 2015. He came up short in the Hockey Hall vote this year, but I think he'll do well in our poll because he was such a favorite. During his nine years with the Orange and Black, Brindy scored 235 goals and had 601 total points and was also the best defensive forward in the league during much of his career. A hard-nosed player who was a great teammate and a fan favorite, as I said, Rod Brindamore. All right, moving on. Next one is another 2020 new nominee, and that's Gary Maddox. And I can still hear Harry Callis uh, saying Gary Lee Maddox. The Secretary of Defense joined the Phillies in a 1975 trade from the Giants for that Willie Montanez. Maddox went on to play 11-plus seasons for the Phillies, winning seven gold gloves, a World Series championship, a Roberto Clemente Award, and earned induction into the Phillies' Wall of Fame. He had a career Phillies batting average of 284 with 85 home runs, 586 RBIs. He also played in six postseasons as a Philly, 76, 77, 78, 80, 81, and 83. Gary Lee Maddox. Where are we at? Am I at Randall Cunningham? Is that where we are here? Yes. Randall. Ah, yes. Randall went on onto our ballot for the first time in 2018 and didn't get the level of support that I thought he might. And he came up short in 2019 also. Hmm. One of the NFL's most electrifying players ever. So many highlight film plays. The ultimate weapon, as he was often called, Randall threw for nearly 22,900 yards and 150 touchdowns as an eagle while rushing for another nearly 4,500 yards and 22 scores. Still today, he is the league all-time rushing leader among quarterbacks, more than 4,900 yards, a two-time All-Pro with three Pro Bowl selections, he was an Eagle, 11 seasons, and one of my favorites, Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham. And, Chad, i got to tell you, I made a mistake, and uh, our listeners are paying attention and correcting me because next up is Mo Cheeks. And uh, Mo is, is in his Naismith, is a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer last year, but he is not in our list. So Yeah, we said that, didn't we? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's confusion that they got elected last year, and I think what they're thinking is he got elected into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yes, not into ours. He is still out there and available. That's right. So, Cheeks was the point guard that directed that offense for 11 seasons from 1978 through the middle of the 1989 season, including leading the 82-83 World Champion Sixers. As a Sixer, Mo averaged 12.2 points per game, 7.3 assists per game, a four-time All-Star, five-time All-Defensive Team player, and as we said, elected to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018, Mo Cheeks. All right. Speaking of popular players, Darren Dalton was one of the most popular Phillies ever, just like the current Phillies catcher, JT. Uh, 
Dutch Dalton wore number 10. He played 13 and a half of his 14 big league seasons with the Phillies and was absolutely the leader in that clubhouse, particularly on the lovable NL pennant winning 1993 squad. While his career stats weren't anything special, a 245 average and 134 home runs, Dalton was a standout in handling pitchers and running that clubhouse. He finished his playing career in style in 1997 winning a World Series ring with those Marlins. But we'll always remember him as a very popular Philly gun a few years now, having succumbed to brain cancer, the great Darren Dalton. All right. And I've got another new nominee, Chet. How about Ron Hextall? Hextall played 11 of his 13 seasons in the NHL as a flyer netminder over two stints. He was a first-team All-Star, won the Vesna Trophy and the Conn Smythe Trophy, all as a rookie. Hexie Hall's the Flyers' team records for goaltender games played, three more than Bernie Perrant, wins, nine more than Perrant, losses, and goals against. Hextall became the first NHL goaltender to score a goal by shooting the puck into the opponent's empty net against the Boston Bruins in the 87-88 season. The following season, became the first goaltender to score in the playoffs by shooting the puck into the Washington Capitals' empty net. Hexie still holds the NHL record for most penalty minutes by a goaltender in a single season with 113. He later became the Flyers' general manager for four-plus seasons. Ron Hextall. All right. Well, last year, the Phillies formerly honored Ryan Howard with a retirement ceremony at Citizens Bank Park. I was there, and it was quite cool. Uh, the offensive numbers the big piece put up between his 2005 Rookie of the Year season and 2011 were nothing short of amazing. From 2006, then through 11, Howard averaged 43.7 home runs and 133 RBI per season. He was the league's 2006 most valuable player a year after winning Rookie of the Year. He finished in the top 10 in the voting the next five seasons. Yeah, he struck out a lot, and he was an average first baseman at best. But for those first seven seasons as a Philly before the devastating injury on the final play of the 2011 postseason, there was no one that opposing pitchers feared more than Ryan Howard. 382 career home runs, second on the Phil's all-time list, and 1,194 RBI, that is third among all-time Phillies. Ryan Howard absolutely, I think, belongs in our little hall. Well, uh, I can't disagree with that, and I've got another Philly who might also need to be in there as well. One of the rare guys beloved by fans in both New York and Philadelphia as he spent nine or ten years in both cities, coming up with the Mets in the mid-60s where he was part of the 69 Miracle Mets and the 73, you got to believe Mets, that rallied to win the pennant and stretched the world champion Oakland A's to seven games. He joined the Phillies in 1975, stayed the Philly through 1984, helping them win the World Series in 1980. We all remember, Chet, his strikeout of Willie Wilson to end it. It was a, it was a classic. Tugs Phil's stats during his 10 years in town, 49 wins, 94 saves, sixth on Phil's all-time list, and a 3.10 earn run average. You got to believe the late Tug McGraw will get some support from the Philly faithful. Mm-hmm. Well, we all love Carson Wentz, and so many fans still love Nick Foles, understandably. 
that Randall Cunningham guy, pretty popular too. But when it comes down to it, the Eagles' greatest ever quarterback is still good old number five, Donovan McNabb. Yeah, he will always love you. He was picked second overall in the 1999 draft and played 11 seasons with the Birds, and he had quite a career. You know about the five NFC championships and that one Super Bowl loss. Know also that he had a very respectable passer rating as an Eagle, 86.5, and a one-loss record of 92-49-1. and That ain't bad. And, oh, yeah, 216 touchdowns and just 100 interceptions. Put the quirky personality issues aside and remember, he is the best-ever quarterback still to have played for the Eagles, Donovan McNabb. And, you know, Chet, we got to throw this out here because I, I, I didn't check how many years McNabb has been on this ballot, but it's been a handful. And he has been the most surprising, lowest <laughs> vote getter every year. Every year, I think he's yeah. going to, you know, he's going to have some juice to him. And uh, it started from the beginning. He didn't get support the first year he was on here, and he's never gotten support from the Philly fans. This really has surprised me throughout. Yeah, I don't like his chances this year either. So uh, <laughs> sorry, Donovan, but we're we're going to keep you on there, and hopefully, people will come around. There you go. Next up, Mike Quick. Quick played all 11 of his seasons for the Eagles, earning five Pro Bowl trips. Only six Eagles have gone to more Pro Bowls as an Eagle than Quick. And they're all on this list except for one, Jason Peters, who's still playing. Three times he gained over 1,000 yards receiving, including a league-leading 1,409 in 1983. For his Eagles career, Quick had 363 receptions for 6,464 yards and 61 touchdowns including an NFL record 99-yarder. This could be the year for Mike Quick, Chet. Mm -hmm. Well, how about another Eagle, a new nominee this year? Not sure why it took so long for him to get on our ballot. Let's call it an oversight on both our parts. But shame on me, because I've been campaigning for this guy to get serious consideration by Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. We're talking about Seth Joyner. Check out what this eighth-round draft choice did during his eight terrific seasons as an Eagle linebacker. 37 sacks, 17 interceptions. He played with three other teams later on, winning a Super Bowl with the Broncos, and ended up as the only player in league history with at least 50 sacks and 20 interceptions to go with 26 forced fumbles. His numbers, you can look it up. They're better than Hall of Famers Derek Brooks and Junior Seau. I'm not kidding. He went into the Eagles Hall of Fame belatedly in 2018, and I have a hunch he will be one of the top vote-getters for our Hall this year, the great Seth Joyner. Hmm, interesting. Yep. And you're up again. You're right back up with Jimmy Rollins. Yes, indeed. Another guy who is absolutely deserving of our little hall, but we're not going to put them all in this year. But Jimmy Rollins is the Phillies all-time hits leader. We all remember him passing Mike Schmidt several years ago in that category. He was also the National League's MVP in 2004, a three-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, and a career 267 hitter with the Phillies. And, of course, a key member of the 2008 Phillies World Championship team. He's even in the top 10 on the Phil's all-time home run list. Yeah, he had 216 dingers as a Philly. He's only been gone a few years, but consider him for our Hall of Fame, Jimmy Rollins. Next up, uh, I've got one that, uh, Chet, I, I think this guy's got a real chance this year. Dave the Hammer Schultz. What more needs to be said? An integral part of the Broad Street Bully Stanley Cup champion Flyers. He was the head bully. He only played five years for the Flyers, although it seemed like a lot more than that. 
but what an impact. He actually scored 51 goals, recorded 64 assists, and 1,386 penalties. Yes, he did score 20 goals in a season in 1973-74. His record 472 penalty minutes amassed in 1974-75 still stands as a record today. A member of the Flyers Hall of Fame and two-time Stanley Cup champion, Dave the Hammer Schultz. I remember that season when he had the 20 goals. He actually had two hat tricks a week apart, one against the Rangers, one against the Minnesota North Stars. I don't know why I remember that, but uh, I mentioned that to Schultz when I saw him a few years ago, and he was shocked at me remembering that. Uh, but just one of those things that stood out. That was actually a trivia question on one of our Philly Press Box Radio trivia shows. Oh, really? There you go. And I didn't even know that. All right. Let's see. Uh, Chase Utley. Oh, yes. A new nominee this year. I'm no genius, but I have a hunch Chase will be one of the top three vote getters here in his first year on the ballot for our hall. Although he grew up in Southern California, Chase was always a fan favorite in Philly for the way he played the game. 110% every time he went out there. A six-time All-Star, he helped the Phillies to that World Series title in 08. And during his 13 seasons in Philly, he had a 282 average with 233 home runs, good for sixth on the team's all-time list even though he wasn't really a power hitter. Utley was chosen as the second baseman on Sports Illustrated's all-decade team for the 2000s. He is the man and a first-time nominee for our hall, Chase Utley. Well, it's going to be interesting with Utley, Rollins, and Howard now all on the ballot. You know, we've hit this 2008 bunch pretty hard, and it's going to be interesting to me, Chet, to see which of those three get the most votes first. I think Chase, but we'll see. All right. I got another one, another one. Uh, This guy goes back to my youth. Again, I'm old. Uh, A very solid NBA player for 13 years. His rookie season was with the Syracuse Nats. I don't go quite back that far. Uh, The Nats, of course, then moved to Philly, and he played with the 76ers for six years. Chet Walker, a forward who averaged 16.2 points and 7.9 rebounds a game with the franchise, a 47% shooter and a strong defender. He finished his career with the Bulls. Of course, Chet was a starting forward on those 66-67 Sixers, inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee finally in 2012. An old favorite of mine, Chet the Jet Walker. All right. Well, there you have it. Um You've got 11 to choose from, or you got 16 to choose from now, right? Yeah, 16 in total, yeah. 16 to choose from. So you pick your five favorites. Go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. Click on the article. It'll be on the left-hand side. We'll probably get that up a little bit later tonight. Uh, Top three vote-getters by the fans are in. Chet, you'll pick one. I'll pick one. I usually pick the old guys, and I'm not even sure who the old guys are in this group anymore. and remember, the voting will end on Tuesday, July 14th. We'll um, announce them and go through these on uh, the 15th, Wednesday 15th show. So, Chet, run down the list again for us, and uh, let's see them votes. All right, 16 names to consider. Only five will get in. In alphabetical order, your 11 holdover candidates are Bob Brown, Mo Cheeks, Randall Cunningham, Darren Dalton, Ryan Howard, Tug McGraw, Donovan McNabb, Mike Quick, Jimmy Rollins, Dave Schultz, and Chet Walker. And the newcomers to the 2020 ballot are Rod Brindamore, Ron Hextall, Seth Joyner, Gary Maddox, and Chase Utley. I promise you, no Russian interference, New York interference. Let's do it, Philly sports fans. Choose wisely. 
Uh, all right. We're looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, check our uh, website. We'll, we'll post it on Facebook that it's up there. Slide over to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and get your votes in and uh, see what happens. Always fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, Chet, uh, speaking of fun, it looked like uh, you might have had fun and lifted uh, some of the restrictions over at the Irish Rover Station House this past weekend. Uh, what was going on there? And uh, how much fun was it? <laughs> In a shocking development, Bill, yes, I actually visited the Irish Rover last Saturday night with my pals, Denny and Tom. We sat outside on the patio, but uh, they were able to seat some people indoors, too. Now that may change. I don't know what's going on in the state of Pennsylvania anymore. And that was great to see. Yes, I had a couple of beers. And yes, I had my usual food items, sweet and spicy boneless wings. I love those things. Just so you know, with the holiday coming up, the Irish Rover will be closed Saturday the 4th and Sunday the 5th but they will reopen then on Monday at 3 p.m. And if you don't feel like you're ready to sit around other patrons just yet, I know you're worried about the coronavirus. Perhaps you can always order food or even certain cocktails to go. The Irish Rover Station House is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne, and they're on Facebook and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. And Bill, celebrating uh, last week, Carly Simon, you know, we had uh, turning 75. Well, today's 75th birthday, it's... The lead singer of Blondie, Deborah Harry. Legendary stuff back in the day, Chet, right there. Never saw Blondie live, but they had a lot of hits, man, uh, all through the 80s and uh, good stuff. So good stuff. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I saw that today was her birthday, and I figured you would not disappoint with a little... uh, (laughs) Debbie Harry music. You got it. All right. Hey, uh, Chet, great guest tonight. And Mike Sielski, he's always great, man. And good stuff. He's all over it. That was awesome. Deep thinker. You know, you can tell he's definitely a deep thinker. Um, So who do we have coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Because I, for one, am not a deep thinker. (laughs) Well, next week, Bill, uh, hopefully we'll know more about what's going on with the baseball situation and the Phillies. As we noted, they're supposed to start actual workouts on Friday, both at the ballpark and at uh, the nearby park, the public park. Uh, We're going to be talking with longtime Phillies baseball reporter Paul Hagan. He will be joining us for a third time to talk Phillies and, yes, the latest on the return to play plan. And then whatever else we'll do next week, I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know. Who knows? Who knows what next week will bring? You know, <laughs> it's it, different it, from week to week. There's always it, something it, new. It, dang, <sighs> you know? I, I just uh, I'll throw this out there again. You know, Pennsylvania changing their rules just again today. Um, you know, I'm wearing a mask every time you walk outside the house. Um, you know, how are you going? How are you going to have baseball? How are you going to have? How can players? be able to do what they have to do. You can't practice in mass. I, I'm no. not sure. I'm sure there are exemptions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, they actually, uh, the article I read had like four exemptions and I mean, they had to be like, you really can't breathe in them or you have a medical condition or you're under the age of two years old. It didn't say anything about baseball players. Yeah. I don't think they're going to come and uh, say, Hey, Bryce Harper, you need to wear a mask out in right field. I don't think that's going to happen. So we just hope we get to the actual games position. You know, that, that would be nice to see some real live sports action. I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. No, me neither. You think we're going, we're going in the different direction every day. I think. Yeah. 
Well, hey, let's take another quick break, Chet. Thank our friends at the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. They've changed some things up with very popular mystery boxes and razzes with just 11 lines. So your chances of winning are 1 in 11. Great odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Razroom. That's right. PPCC 118 Razroom on Facebook. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, Chet, uh, we modified and updated our Philly Press Box Radio website where you can now watch this podcast. We have our Vimeos, some current Philly sports articles, some articles we've written as well. And now our YouTube channel is on the move. Yeah, the website, phillypressboxradio.com, looking good. As for the YouTube channel, it's simple to find. You go to YouTube, you type in Philly Press Box in the search tab, and you will see us. We have 22 or 23 videos there to check out, our last nine or 10 full shows among them, and then some other stuff, even some non-sports interviews. Again, go to YouTube and subscribe to Philly Press Box Radio. We will have this show up in the next day or so. Also, I'll break out the segment where we talk about the Hall of Fame candidates for our hall, if you just wanted to focus on that. But uh, you should check out Mike Sealski, too, because that was really good. Uh, We'll break that down, too. Some people just like to do, you know, piecemeal, so that's fine. Also, if you want one of our fabulous T-shirts like Bill is probably wearing tonight, what do you got on there, Bill? Yes, you have the black shirt with green logo, Philly Press Box Radio T-shirts. If you want one of those, go to our website. You get all the details there, and we'll get your shirt out to you in a matter of days. They're $10 or $12 plus $7 to ship them. There you go. Looking forward to that. Hey, uh, Jet, do we have a parting shot from you tonight? I have no official parting shop, just just a couple of random things. You mentioned earlier that it's Bobby Bonilla Day, and I saw it all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram today. People love that. $1.19 million goes to Bobby every July 1st. He's been getting it since, I guess, like 2000, 2001, through the year 2000. 35 and for the record folks bill and i do not have that type of deal here at philly press box radio (laughs) (laughs) well and you know chet the funny thing i saw uh, late this afternoon is that when bryce harper's contract is completed this monster contract bobby mania will be getting paid for three more years (laughs) that's true yeah (laughs) that is very true all right cbs sports yesterday posted a piece ranking the nfl's current coaches the top 10, see if you agree. Number one, Bill Belichick, of course. Number two, Andy Reid. Yeah, he just won the Super Bowl. The Ravens, John Harbaugh. Okay. The Saints, Sean Payton. Number four, he's always high on the list. Number five, 49ers, Kyle Shanahan. Interesting. That might be a little high for him, but who am I to judge? Now, here's where it gets really interesting and maybe controversial. Numbers six through 10 are the Rams, Sean McVay at number six. The Steelers, Mike Tomlin, the Seahawks, Pete Carroll, the Eagles, Doug Peterson gets in there at number nine, and then the Vikings, Mike Zimmer. What I want to know, Bill, is why is Doug Peterson three notches below Sean McVay? He beat him twice head-to-head, and he also beat that Bill Belichick, unlike what McVay did when they went head-to-head in the Super Bowl. Explain it to me. Uh, There is no explanation for it, actually, because, you know, Sean McVay has this reputation of an offensive genius, a wonder boy kind of thing at, uh, you know, I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And uh, I, I think 
in that Super Bowl against Belichick, if if there was ever a coach that was out coached in a Super Bowl, they had no answers. Jared Goff had no answers. Sean McVay had no answers in that in that game. Um, the other one I find a little bit interesting is uh, uh, what's his name in uh, New Orleans? Yeah, uh, Sean Payton. Sean number Payton, four. number four. You know, uh, Sean's been okay, been pretty good, won a Super Bowl, but uh, he's had a pretty good quarterback down there. You know, I look a little more like at somebody like John Harbaugh, who's won a Super Bowl. He won that with Joe Flacco. Um, hasn't had great quarterbacks. Uh, it's easy to make that list when you have great quarterbacks, as you can see by the guys on there. Uh, John Harbaugh's done probably a lot with a little less, and he had a great defense there with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and them. Uh, so I'm good with John Harbaugh. Maybe not quite so good with Sean Payton. And, and interesting so, list. Very and what we've seen from Doug Peterson, uh, you know, he's done an awful lot with banged up teams and and still made playoffs uh, to go with his Super Bowl win. So I'm good to see him there. Yeah, let's revisit this in a year or two and see where they stand. And uh, birthdays of note here on July 1st, in addition to Debbie Harry turning 75, Dan Aykroyd is 68. Pam Anderson is 53. I know Pam's one of your favorites. She was your favorite Baywatch babe, right? And uh, actress Liv Tyler is 43. And here's one more I just uh, realized earlier today. Olivia de Havilland, Gone with the Wind, is 104 years old today, still with us. She's still alive. Still alive, yes. 104. Well, we won't be able to watch her anymore because they pulled the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap it up, Bill. All right. That is going to wrap it up. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Mike Sielski, our producer behind the scenes, Billy Furman, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance at Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, July 8th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook or listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com, slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts and others. So high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Hopefully we'll get back to playing some ball soon. Stay safe.